Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Um, hopefully that picture right there does not confuse us more, <laughs> but it's already confusing seeing that crossroads and a highway in Dallas, Texas, which is just insane. And if someone asks me to drive through that intersection, I will definitely go through the side road that we were talking before <laughs> and try to go into a narrow place where I can just see one car in front of me and another car behind me. Because <laughs> that is just, uh, I might go out of control in that. Uh, nevertheless, I just started with that, but uh, we're going to be talking um, about the uh, one of the IAMs, I think is the one before the last of the IAMs on this uh, sequence of the studies that we've been going through. And um, uh, it's just been a beautiful journey reading and I will start by saying that my, um, I read several books and I try to weave it together and instead of being kind of like focusing only one of them, I got several ideas from different commentaries. James uh, Montgomery um, uh, Voice, I have to say Voice because last time I said James Montgomery and I became <coughs> aware that there is other theologians that make commentaries that are not James Montgomery Voice. So I better be uh, sharp on that. Um, um, also, D.A. Carson. And that's when I got into that. I was like, oops, that is a lot. And, uh, and I started to reorganize my grammar. I started to reorganize my thoughts about the, uh, the, the importance of the Greek verb and nouns and how to use them and, uh, on the perfect tense and um, um, location on the sentences, especially because we're going to be talking about that. And um, I also went through a commentary from John MacArthur. And I think it's, um, uh, once I started putting all together, that's when I realized how big, important, and intense this teaching is. And, um, and it's not only on that verse, and not only on that uh, chapter, which is John chapter 14, but it also goes to the chapter 13, and it also moves on through the entire book of John. And we're going to uh, uh, touch uh, based on, on through many verses on the, on the book of John. And so we should start by um, actually, uh, that's a little more uh, like it, uh, a little image, you know, kind of like peaceful of a way. Uh, one thing I didn't like about this one is that a way down and a way out. I don't want to get into like what we talk about the door because it's a way in and a way out. And uh, that is not the meaning of that picture and I just wanted to say that. Um, we're going to be talking about John 14, 6. And the title is I Am the Way, uh, the Truth, and the Life. As a title, it's uh, inviting us to reread the, the, the whole verse, which is, it, it has two parts. And I would like someone to help me by reading that verse. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Once we see that verse, is um, our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to him. Now, in order to get concept and um, I mean context and all of this, we need to know who he is talking to, and also why he is referring of himself being the way. And uh, and then we go into the other, uh, which is the truth and the life. The second part we're gonna. Uh, uh, not put it aside or separate it, but we're going to get focused on that so we can get the right context on this verse. And we're going to be reading, uh, we're going to put the context all the way back to chapter 13. Mm-hmm. And the reasoning on that is because if we read verse 1 in chapter 14, we're going to see the apostles completely going in, like their mind didn't catch anything and they were all confused. Nothing made sense at that moment. So we need to understand in chapter 13 what was going on. And why is the reasoning of our Lord Jesus Christ telling that he is the way. So we have, after the supper, they were talking. And all of a sudden, our Lord Jesus Christ repeats because he already said it before that he is going to be leaving. His time had come for him to depart. And that troubles the apostles. They were like, what are you talking about? They, they heard that before, but at that moment our Lord Jesus Christ is specified. My time has come. So it is now. So they went like, hold on a second. So does this mean that this is the end of the journey? And remember, they were with him. For three years, they saw him doing all of the signs, all of the miracles, talking about his father, talking about the kingdom of God, talking of himself, and confronting the Pharisees. Three years. And sitting on the table, all of a sudden, they hear, this is the time where I am going to be leaving. The time is soon, meaning the following day. That happened on a Thursday, and on Friday he was going to get crucified. Uh, that same night, some of the apostles was going to betray him. And he went directly to Thomas, um, to uh, Judah, and he told, um, what you are about to do, you better do it fast. And the scripture says that he took off. I mean, Probably the, the 11 on the room did, didn't even notice what was happening. But he took off and he went to do what he had to do. And fast. So when our Lord Jesus Christ specified that someone was going to betray him, they just started looking at each other and they started questioning, is it me the one? Or who is going to betray you? Who is going to do something wrong to the one is being leading us, teaching us, and giving us all the comfort that we need, the peace that we need. When the storm hit the boat, when all of that happened, now who, who can that be? How and why? Now, that actually made the, the room going more in silence, looking at each other, trying to find which one of the twelve was going to be the one. By then, Satan already um, 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 
Satan already in well or got the betrayer to do what he was going to do. At the same time, when our Lord Jesus Christ actually said in, in verse 33 that he was leaving, Peter stood up and said, What do you mean you're leaving? I will give my life for you. <laughs> and our Lord anticipated and told him that he was going to be denied by him three times before the next morning. Um, I can just imagine Peter's face going, what? You must be kidding me. I am tough. Nobody <laughs> will even touch you or approach to you. I mean, and he actually did it later on where he went to the, to the guard and cut the ear. But the reality of this is that our Lord Jesus Christ expressed all of this about to happen and made the room completely silent. Their minds were going through that picture totally confused and not knowing what was going to happen. They didn't know if they should start like running away, like right away, or wait until our Lord departs. And the last, which is implied in all of this, is that everyone in the room was going to be scattered. They were going to have to run away. So that is the context in chapter 13. And now we're going to read the beginning of chapter 14, which is part of the um, direct talk that he has with Thomas. Can someone help me reading John 14, 1 through 5? After 6, I'm sorry. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. <clears throat> in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I would go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come again and will you take to, to take you to myself that where I am you will also be? Uh, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus <laughs> said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an amazing, an amazing statement. Um, the room was silence, completely. Um, nobody can make any sense of what happened. And all of a sudden, our Lord comes with something like, Let not your heart be troubled. And it's really, in the middle of problems, we all experience that if someone comes to us and say that to us, our best friend, even if I tell that sentence by itself to my kids when they're having problems, you know what they're going to do? They're going to go, what are you talking about? I'm the one with the problem. The last thing I want to hear is like that because I am troubled. Now, the second part of verse 1 actually gives an argument of the reasoning why our Lord Jesus Christ is telling them the solution for not being troubled. So I, I thought about it and I said, this is beautiful. Because when we come to our kids or to our friends or in our workplace with problems, any kind of problem, we can say, hey, don't worry about it, everything is cool. 
the guy sitting on the other side will say, cool, we're having problems. Whether it's in production or in financial problems, but we're having problems. What is the solution? Well, uh, we got to have a solution when we say, chill out. Everything is cool. If we don't, then we're missing a very important part. And that is on the human perspective. But what is happening right here, it's way deeper than only talking about life and earth. Because what is about to happen is that the Lord Jesus Christ is leaving. Where? To his Father. And um, the second part of this opens up a, lift, uh, a completely different perspective, and we're going to analyze a little bit about this uh, second part, believe. And there is two beliefs, in God and in Jesus. So we're going to do several um, sentences based on the use on the Greek, with the Greek. But I have to mention also that the entire picture that we see here that our Lord Jesus Christ is picturing when he talks to the apostles reminds me that in antiquity there are six statements on this, um, on this uh, passage. Let not your heart be troubled. I already went into this a little bit. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. And we can actually connect the three and the four together if we wanted to make it as a one sentence, which is, will take you to myself, or we can read it, I will come again and take you to myself. Because that is the purpose of the coming. You know the way. And that arises a question that it goes like completely, <laughs> like, you know the way. What are you talking about? The answer I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last statement, it's a stubborn. Stubborn. No one comes to the Father except through me. And um, um, what I said about the uh, verse 1 and 2, we are going to get into because it's uh, just such an amazing second part of verse 1, which is believe in God, Believe also in me. The verb believe in the Greek is pistel or pistil. If I'm pronouncing it right or wrong, uh, I'm completely open. Someone can help us. Eugene, is it pistel or pistil? Nobody really knows how they pronounce it. Okay, so, you're good. so, okay, oh, so that's great. Okay, that, 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 that gives me a little, uh, yeah. And the reason why is because. Um, I think that's the closest I can actually. <laughs> in, in fact, the O has kind of like a, a, a little accent on top of it. That means it's uh, O as opposed it's to O. It's supposed to O. So, pistel. Which it means in trust, have confidence, believe, and have faith. Uh, the last one, I love it because if, uh, we, we are closer to what faith means as a gift of God. But I also wanted to say, and this is where it takes a little tricky to understand what it means to believe in God, believe also in me. Because the verb itself from the original takes two different uh, or uses. Indicative and also imperative. 
and they use it accordingly so that whichever way makes sense on the whole picture that the Lord Jesus Christ is presenting to the 11 that were on the room. And we're going to analyze each of those three. If we take believe in God and believe in me, which is Jesus talking, as indicative and indicative, it reads like this. You believe in God. That's indicating that you already believe in God. And the second one, if it's indicative, it reads, and you believe in me. Nothing is open. It's already indicating that you believe in God, you believe in me. Does that make any sense and uh, reads correctly with the sentence? I don't think so. I think that is probably not according to what our Lord Jesus Christ expressed in the rest of the, uh, on the, um, on the whole chapter. I mean, the whole passage from 1 to 6. The other option is indicative where he talks about God, and imperative, when he talks about himself. And he reads like this, you believe in God, it already believe in God. And the imperative is, believe also in me. It's inviting, as you must believe in me. You have to believe in me. That's more of a command. And at that moment, it's offering peace, saying, you already believe in God, now believe it also in me, and that will probably calm them down a little bit. Understanding that they have to believe. Now, does that make sense too? I would say, in the sentence, it's not the best rendering of the believe in God, believe also in me. And we're going to see the third option, which is imperative for God, an imperative for Christ. And the reason why I think this one is the one that fits the best is because the mind state in the room was confused. They didn't know what to think, how to organize their thoughts, and how to put everything in perspective. So, believing God, trusting God, have faith in God, it was a little bit kind of like weak. It wasn't really rooted into that because otherwise they wouldn't be troubled. So for that reason, I think that it has to apply as an imperative for both. Is You have to believe in God and you have to believe in me. So it's imperative, believe in God and also believe in me. So that it's an imperative for the two it's not taking any deity, neither from God or from Jesus, but it, it's telling them and reminding them that at the end, they have to believe in God and believe in Christ in order to attain not being troubled. Yes? I, I like that, C, because I think their minds were in conflict because they had a different idea of what the Messiah was going to be. <laughs> And so this idea of him leaving at the peak of his ministry is freaking them out because they thought he was going to rise and be a physical king over mm -hmm. a physical nation. Mm -hmm. And now they're confused. Like, what? 
So he's saying this is God's plan all along, and you need to believe God and stop thinking about it. Yeah, well, the teaching on the three years, that was exactly what he yeah. mentioned through the three years of his ministry on earth. And, uh, and, and definitely at that moment, everything shattered. And they, they didn't remember, uh, they didn't take any notes. <laughs> we have the benefit of having the Word of God in the Bible. But they didn't. And that, uh, at that moment, everything was like totally disconnecting the internet from their mind. <laughs> Nothing made any sense. Because the Lord was leaving, or was going to be leaving soon. With that said, we're going to move on and read John 14 and uh, verse 2 and 3. Can someone uh, help me reading this? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Mm. This is a, a beautiful picture of the um, um, in antiquity on the Jewish uh, traditions weddings have a, a very specific way to celebrate the wedding and, and, uh, and, and we're going to get into this because there is uh, two periods on the, on, on, the, on the Jewish wedding it's not actually how it happened now and uh, neither in other religions how they celebrate weddings and they um, Take this two different stages, even at the, almost at the same time in different. Uh, let's talk about the Catholic Church, and I will get into that how they do perform the wedding, so that we can understand why this passage right here picture uh, a beautiful antiquity uh, Jewish wedding or Jewish wedding in antiquity. It's the same language in ancient uh, uh, Jewish weddings, and there was two events. The first one is called uh, the betrothal, which it actually separates the two events with a period of time, and it was about a year. And uh, uh, the groom will go to his father's house, and the bride will go to his father's house. And they leave separated, but they were already being engaged. And uh, in order to kind of like dissolve that engagement, it would take a legal procedure. And they had to go through the divorce. So it, it's not like the engagements right now where they engage and they were for six months. They fight against each other because they do not have the means to celebrate the wedding. And they decide, oh, it's not going to happen. You go that way and I go this way. It didn't happen in Jewish tradition. Once they enter into the betrothal, basically what happened is that they were engaged and already married to the men, but the men, the room, well, would go to his father's house to build a place <coughs> for the bride during a period of time that, that it's a year. If he finished in six months, he had to wait until the time which it was a year. Maybe add another brick, maybe paint it a little nicer, <laughs> maybe uh, add a little extra whatever, but they had to wait based on the tradition. And, uh, and then later, they celebrate the wedding before they actually consume the marriage, getting into the place and living together. 
So if we read that again, then with that mentality, with that idea of the wedding, it will make sense. And, and the reason why is because we will see that, and see that the church is the bride of Christ. And Christ is the room. Uh, there is a couple um, um, verses right there that I add on where this is quoted on the, on the Bible. 2 Corinthians 11.2 which is um, uh, Apostle Paul talking and warning about the, uh, uh, the false prophets and talking to the church and saying, I wanted to present you to Jesus as a virgin, meaning clean. So be aware that these are coming to destroy us and make us not clean for the room. So, Revelations 21, 2, Matthew 9.15 and the reason why I didn't add the, uh, the reading of each of these verses is because we haven't gotten close to where we wanted to get in, on this passage Matthew 25.1.6 and John 3.29 so now we uh, have a picture and we're gonna, I was going to say at this point let's jump into heaven <laughs> you're right Talking about the way is probably not the, 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 the best way to, to talk about heaven. Nobody jumps uh, into heaven. But we're, ta- we're going to talk about heaven. And the reason why heaven is because when we read again, the Father's, in my Father's house, that is the dwelling place of God. And we know that that is heaven. And Deuteronomy 26.15 calls heaven God's holy dwelling place. But we're not talking about the temple. Because that is also called the dwelling place of God. The holy of holies. And they have the room where only the priest would go in to do the sacrifice. We're not talking about that. We're talking about heaven. And the importance on this, Christ talking about his father's house, he could easily say, in heaven there is many rooms. Instead, he talks about his father. Because later on the same chapter, from verse 7 on, the father will take a big portion of the teaching and Christ will take a place in talking about the nature of the Father and the nature of Himself being one. We are not going to get all the way there but we're going to stop at verse 6 and that is important to understand that He's talking about heaven. Having many rooms. And we have to be also very careful because some of the... um, Bible translations also have another, um, um, instead of rooms, they talk about mansions, King James Version. And that is because of the Latin Vulgate translation. Uh, it actually talks about mansions. And we have to be very careful because that is being taken by the prosperity gospel and many other religions. Uh, trying to offer something that will definitely be attractive. Mm-hmm. Oh, then that means that I will have a mansion. 
<laughs> you know? And, and it's going to be massive. Who cares? <laughs> the most important thing is that when we get to heaven, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. And I don't want to put attention to the mansion, quote unquote. I have a place, which is really what he means, the dwelling place where I believe it's a room. It's a place where I will be. With that said, um, I also want to mention that heaven, it's um, mentioned as a kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom is because there is a ruler, a ruler of heaven, which is God. In Matthew 19.23, but in uh, the right next uh, verse in Matthew 19.24, our Lord Jesus Christ also called heaven the kingdom of God. So he, our Lord Jesus Christ means the same, saying the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. He's talking about the ruler of heaven is God. It's also, heaven is quoted on the Bible as a country, because it's vast. It has many rooms, so that means it's huge. They even give some measurements. I don't want to get into those mathematical, um, um, uh, uh, you know, like facts to come out with the distance or the sizes. It doesn't matter again. But it's uh, called a country in Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews. 1116. Another one, it's as a city. And it's because that there is citizens living on the city. Who are going to be the citizens? We, the church. And it's also a paradise. Now, we also have to be careful about this because many take this as if it is the um, Garden of Eden, Eden, or paradise, if it's created before the, uh, before he created men, or if it's paradise because of his beauty, the beauty of heaven. But it's it's uh, on the book of Luke twenty three forty three, and as a house, as we see in John fourteen two, which is heaven being quoted on this particular passage that we're studying today. Can someone help me read John 14, 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5? Thomas said to him, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like a, a friendly talk. You know? I mean, Jesus opened the opportunity someone to tell him and talk about the way it's not that any of the apostles wanted to find out our Lord Jesus Christ actually immediately said and you know the way knowing that they would probably be confused because they were in total shock (coughs) so when he says you know the way I will tell you something. For example, um, if I send you and I go like, here are the keys of my car. Go to New York. But I don't give you any directions how to get there. 
Would you jump on the car and start driving like crazy <laughs> and get to New York? Well, do you know what? I haven't told you the way. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you're a GPS right, and you're right now, right now, if someone tells me here's the direction, I don't even need to know what I'm going. All I know is that that is the address. I put it on my phone, and it will give me direction. If something goes wrong, rerouting, rerouting. <laughs> you could end up in the middle of the desert, like those whole big time. Days. Well, and it depends on who about uh, which of the uh, uh, Google Maps or. Apple Mob, I mean, they go completely different routes. But what I'm saying is, you know the way. In reality, the answer at that moment is, you know the way. It, we have the benefit of having the Bible, because we can jump to the next and say, I am the way. <laughs> you know me. That's exactly what he meant. But they didn't get it. I mean, if you stop reading and you do not read verse 6, we will not know the way. But we know verse 6. So no, we know that he is the way. So that's why we immediately um, uh, assume that he is the way. But at that moment, you know the way is you know me. And he is going to expand, explaining you know me. Thomas answered, Thomas the doubter, right? <laughs> He's the practical. Well, he, he, he just wanted to answer. The rest of them don't know the way, but they're afraid to say it. And, 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 and he wants an answer, you know. It's like, later, he wants to put the finger on the wound. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's beautiful that we have Thomas in that setting because yeah. we learn a lot. Many of us experience that and we doubt and that is great because it makes us dig deeper, deeper and listen to the Word of God, which is alive to teach us and tell us. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Think about it. You know the way where I'm going. And Thomas, instead of saying, what's the way? His answer went to the second part. We do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? So that actually tells you that he didn't know, <coughs> he didn't understand, neither the location or the final destination, neither the way. So he didn't have GPS at all. He was totally confused. And that was just a brief interaction among the two, our Lord Jesus Christ and Thomas. And in John 14, 6, this is where our Lord Jesus Christ gives an answer to Thomas. And the topic of the day will start right now. And I pray to God that um, we have enough time <laughs> to unpack this because it's... All of that was just introductory to what it's about to, to be said. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I emphasize the end because that's adding and adding and adding. Our Lord easily can say, I am the way. Boom. Period. That's all you need to know. But he kept adding and he said, and the truth and the life to make them more confused 
No. In preparedness for how he was going to unpack the whole thing on the rest of chapter 14. Otherwise, it wouldn't be complete teaching and understanding of the purpose. Uh, at this moment, way takes emphasis and it's the principal theme. We have to be very careful. And the reasoning on that is because emphasis doesn't mean governing or saying truth and life, we're going to put them as a secondary. But emphasis means that that is what Thomas, Thomas wanted to hear. How do we know the way? So that is the emphasis. And it is tricky because we have to avoid interpreting that one now it's governing the other two. Because if we fall into this, we have different readings and we have different sentences that might be true, but it's not going to actually give the entire teaching that the Lord meant for that moment to be given to them. Example. I am the way of truth and life. The way, it's really governing truth and life. And in that, although it's true, does not apply to what is unpacked in the rest of the, uh, of the chapter. Another example is, I am the true and living way. Once again, it is true. But there is one of the nouns governing the other two. And we have to be very, very careful. Because this need to be, and I actually made some notes, didn't put them in there. Because it was a little more complicated than what I thought it was going to be to understand it. But I better say it. All of the three terms, syntactically, grammatically, and etymologically, have to be coordinated. That means that none of the three will take a governing role over the other two. But for the, the reasoning on the answer, way takes emphasis. Because that's what Thomas wanted to hear. And our Lord brings these terms as a part of the answer. So we leave it there. Without getting too confusing, I think it's already confused, but it's great. D.A. Carson, on his book, The Gospel According to John Commentary, agrees with that. And he has specified that the way is the principal theme, but not governing the other two. Truth in life enjoys supporting role in the sentence. And they can be taken individually and study each of them. And it will bring a lot of wisdom to our ears for us to grasp about the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ saying that he is the way he is. By the way, the, it's a definite article that it's anticipating that there is no other. There is no two ways. Or, I am the fastest way. There is no alternative way. And the same thing applies to 
the truth. Amen. And the same thing applied to the life. So it's one single way, one single truth, and one single life. If he had meant one, that there were other ways than in the English translation, it would be, I am a way. A way. A way. One way among many. But he says the way. The way. Meaning everything else is excluded. <coughs> Correct. Yes. Now, it, that is, uh, the way is because he actually offers a destination. And the way to his father's house, which is to heaven. But in this case, he's talking about his father. So we get into this saying that Jesus is the way to God, the way to the Father. Precisely because he is the truth of God. And he is the life of God. And with that said, is now he is narrowing the path. Now he's saying, I am the way to God. With that understood, is Jesus is the truth because he embodies the supreme revelation of God in earth. As a Trinitarians, we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ being the Son, the, third, the second person on the Trinity. All equal, one God, and three persons. And um, and it's just, it sounds insane for other beliefs and other religions. But for us, this makes sense. Because we, we have the benefit of the Bible. And we can see this taking, um, uh, being in front of us. And it's just such a beautiful way to actually get deeper into chapter 14 from 7 and on. Because we get into this. And it's, uh, it, it's amazing. We continue with the statements that it's rendered by uh, D.A. Carson. Jesus himself narrates God. And that is in the same book of John. All of these are pulled from the book of John. Except the last one, which is from John, the first um, uh, book of John. Uh, the Gospel of John. All of these are from the Gospel of John. Jesus himself narrates God. That's in chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is properly called God. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 18, verse 20. Oh, if, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 18. In chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus is God's gracious self-disclosure. His word made flesh. Chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus is the life. Chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus has life in himself. Chapter 5, verse 26. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. That is in the uh, book of the first book of John five twenty. 
He is himself the Savior. Chapter 4, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 42. He is the Lamb of God. Chapter 1, 29, and chapter 1, 34. The one who so speaks to those who are in the graves, hear his voice and come forward. Chapter 5, verse 28, 29. That is all given us a, um, um, all of the attributes. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of like how can we not really bow our heads and, and give honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. And last, and not least, Jesus is the only, the only one who can say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that we know the way, now that we know that he is the way, that he is the truth, and he is the life, no one ever in history of the human history ever can say this sentence. Because he is God incarnate. And he came to earth to say these words that no one comes to the Father except through him. And from there on, he started speaking about him and the Father and how they're related to each other, how they are of the same nature. His divinity and the divinity and the deity of God and his deity. And it's going to get deeper into that, but for us to understand what the answer was for Thomas is he is the way. I hope this um, didn't arise many doubts like with Thomas, like Thomas. And I found myself, like I said, in, in that intersection on the highway. And, uh, and it was such a beautiful journey going through these verses. So thank you very much for bearing with me. But if there is any questions or you guys wanted to add something else to it, it's, it, it would add on. Yes? It's not a question. It's like uh, listening to the class. I was realized when I went to uh, okay. I grew up Catholic, and I was very involved in uh, in traditional events in church. And I hear people scared to die all the time. And my mind rewind events and listen and apply this in my life right now. Uh, I think like a Christian, we don't have a scare to die because we know the way. Because mm -hmm. we know him. When you know him, you know the way because you know we have a place that he's prepared for us. And that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful to know that and believe in that. Yep. In fact, I wanted to also say that one of these verses is uh, frequently used in Christian um, um, ceremonies when someone died. It's uh, to offer peace to those that knowing that we prepared the place for us 
So being that person gone, we know where they are because they were Christian in this life and they had that place, mm-hmm. that room in heaven. So frequently some pastors use that verse in, uh, in, in those ceremonies. So I, uh, I just have nothing else to say but um, uh, praise God for his provision and for his teaching. And uh, hopefully um, we get to that place that he is preparing for us during this betrothal time because we are in that time, right? Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.gracepropidencechurch.org.